Hello, this is Sarah Ann Minkin of the Foundation for Middle East Peace. Welcome to another edition of our podcast, Occupied Thoughts. Today, it is my honor to be joined by Shireen Saikali. Shireen is Associate Professor of History at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Her book, Men of Capital, Scarcity in Economy and Mandate Palestine, explores how Palestinian capitalists and British colonial officials used economy to shape territory, nationalism, the home, and the body. Shireen is now working on her second book entitled From Baltimore to Beirut on the Question of Palestine, a book that focuses on a Palestinian man who was at once a colonial officer and a colonized subject, an enslaver and a refugee. Shireen is much beloved for her scholarship, her teaching, and her activism. She is an editor of Jadalia and co-editor of the Journal of Palestine Studies. And we are so, so grateful that you're here today, Shireen. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah Ann, and thank you for all the work that you do to create space and uplift Palestinian voices. Thank you. I want to start today by asking how you're doing. I have been struggling, like all of us. I think it's a moment of intense pain, um, you know, looking on and watching as our people sift through the rubble of their belongings um, uh, for what remains in Gaza uh, under sort of this brutal assault at the same time that there is a really historic um, moment happening in terms of the ways that Palestinians are really revealing um, our united peoplehood despite the partitions of Israeli settler colonialism. So it's a moment of deep pain and also this desire for hope and a different future. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to talk about that hope in a different future, but I, I want to start actually um, with history. You are an historian, so what do we need to know from history? What do we need to what do what context or background do we need in order to understand that where we are right now? One of the things I think that is really crucial for people to understand is that the, where you begin the story of what is happening right now is a political choice. So a couple of days ago, when Palestinians called for a general strike and from the far south to the far north of historic Palestine, um, people across those borders were in unity. Um, calling for Palestinian liberation. That was such a historic moment, not only because they were insisting on the unity of a peoplehood, but also because the last time that all of Palestine, all of the corners of Palestine were united in a general strike was in 1936. And that moment is really important. It's a moment that launched um, the largest anti-colonial rebellion during the interwar era in the Arab world. Uh, that is also not the moment where we should begin uh, this story. So I would just make a plea that historically we do not begin in 1993 with Oslo, um, the so-called peace process that intensified and consolidated Israeli expansionism in the West Bank um, in particular and the siege of Gaza, as well as East Jerusalem's um, 
centrality to the expansion of that settler colonial project. So it doesn't start there, nor does it start in 1967 with the Israeli occupation of the West Bank, the Gaza Strip and East Jerusalem when the Palestinians in those areas are confined to a colonial subject position um, where they don't have access to basic rights of mobility or self-determination as they remain confined today, nor does, and when a quarter of a million uh, uh, Palestinians became refugees, and it doesn't even start in 1948 um, with the Nakba and the 800,000 uh, Palestinians who become refugees um, either under force of fire, um, under forcible expulsion or, or, or fleeing. Um, and I would say that it's really important to understand that we have to go back to the beginning of the settler movement in, in Palestine with the 1890s and the first wave of European Jewish immigration. For me, the most important place to begin is with the Balfour Declaration of 1917, which essentially defined all of the Palestinian Christians and Muslims by what they were not. Um, define them as non-Jewish and undeserving of political rights, um, incoherent as a unified people, uh, unworthy of actually um, being on the land um, that they had resided on and their, dis, you know, um, um, that their people had resided on for hundreds of years. And so it's really important to understand this moment in 1917 with the British commitment to the Zionist project and the erasure of the Palestinian as a as a political uh, subject, as somebody who has rights and as somebody who is part of a people. When we begin in 1917, this is the only way to actually name the situation for what it is. Settler colonialism does not begin in Sheikh Jarrah in 2021. It does not begin with Oslo and it doesn't begin in 1967. You know, this is part of the problem with the whole um, language of occupation. It's just not enough. To talk about ending the occupation is not enough because that erases um, um, Gaza and its particular condition. It erases the struggle in East Jerusalem that we're seeing unfolding in Sheikh Jarrah. It erases the Palestinians inside the Green Line who are referred to as Israeli Arabs. And when you use that language of Israeli Arabs, you're essentially erasing and you're taking part in the erasure and partition of our people. Um, and I think that you know, in addition to the Palestinians who are in diaspora, the many who remain confined to refugee camps. This is all one story. And as much as we would like um, the forces, you know, who want to <laughs> maintain this kind of um, fragmentation, um, I think Palestinians around the world are rejecting that, right? And saying that our struggle is one struggle, despite the machinations of um, Israeli power and frankly, US power, as well as the um, Western international media who is absolutely complicit in our erasure. Thank you, Shireen. So one people, one story. Catch us up to Tuesday then, the day of the strike. 
Uh, I mean, I think, you know, um, as everyone who's listening, I'm sure has been following really closely, you know, the struggle in Sheikh Jarrah. Um, and again, here, language is really crucial. Um, we cannot obviously talk about it as a real estate dispute. That is an incredibly violent erasure of what's happening on the ground. And we can't even talk about it as evictions. That language is also not innocent. It's also complicit in the way um, to the way that people uh, People are trying to erase the forcible expulsion of these people from their homes. And this is not a struggle that is confined to East Jerusalem. Actually, if you look inside the green line at the struggles in, in Arakib, um, in the Negev, and the kind of reiterative, repetitive, rep repetitive sort of destruction and demolition and forcible expulsion that Palestinians are subject to. So one of the things, one of the triggers for me, and I just saw this today, um, some headline, you know, Israel-Gaza conflict. It is not an Israel-Gaza conflict. It is uh, uh, Israeli settler colonialism. It is Palestinians fighting for, um, you know, their right to remain on their lands. And so when the uh, um, civil disobedience intensified in Sheikh Jarrah and thousands of Palestinians came out in support in, um, um, and in solidarity and standing with that struggle uh, in the last Friday of Ramadan and, you know, then papered all over, especially U.S. media, we begin to see these this language of clashes, right, of, of uh, Palestinian uh, terrorists, right, this kind of language that really deems Palestinians as killable subjects instead of people calling for basic rights. And I think we can link what's happening in Sheikh Jarrah and the way that Palestinians inside the Green Line um, chose this moment, right, to really uh, articulate their own ongoing dispossession. Um, I think often we miss out on understanding how people inside the Green Line are also themselves subject to an ongoing dispossession from their lands in multiple sites, right? So I think this is a moment in which people have been working for decades to really articulate and push forward a critique of the regime that is in Israel today, which is an apartheid regime, right? Beit Selim has come in, Human, right Watch, Human Rights Watch has come in, um, but I really wanna insist that it is Palestinian leadership and Palestinian analysis that has gotten us to this moment. We've been saying this for years. Um, this has been the 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 uh, basis for the boycott divestment sanctions movement, right? That was not a movement that was created. Um, uh, it was a movement that was in response to a civil society call in Palestine, and. You know, I think it's really crucial that we understand that it is Palestinians holding ground that has made it possible for our allies and people of conscience to, to stand up and say enough is enough. And I think that's what we're seeing on the ground now. Um, in addition to, and I think this gets lost in the in the moment because we're under such urgency, I think it is really important to um, uh, 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 highlight that there is a very particular rise of 
right-wing ethno-national xenophobia that Israel has been part of. And this isn't just about Netanyahu, and this is not just about Donald Trump. This has been happening inside Israel now for over a decade and a half, where the language of transfer, um, the kind of um, incitement and, and, and right-wing kind of xenophobia as acceptability has led to this mantra of death to the Arabs as an acceptable thing on the streets of um, uh, uh, inside um, the, the Green Line and inside Israel. Thank you for all of that, for that, <laughs> for that background. I, I, I thought for a moment you were um, thinking about or, or going to talk about the rise of, of this ethno-nationalism, uh, ethno-national extremism in multiple countries in the world and, yes. and, and their alignment with each other, um, the way that these Absolutely. forces are aligned with each other. Absolutely. I mean, there's a kind of masculinist, right-wing authoritarianism, and I think we've seen this um, um, for many years, but I think there's a kind of consolidation that's happening, and I want to, and I also, you know, want to remember, right, that um, we've in the Arab world, we've been um, witnessing 11 years of uprisings and counter-revolution. And it's really important to understand the ways that, you know, um, regimes like MBS in Saudi Arabia and Sisi in Egypt, Modi in India, Netanyahu in Israel, Trump in the United States, Bolsonaro in Brazil, are really um, invested in incitement, um, xenophobia, and the kind of um, approach to uh, difference and the other that makes possible this this um, kind of all all out attack on um, and 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 language of uh, language and action of incitement um, and attack, and we've seen this you know, unfold uh, in, in, in Lod or Lid, in, in, uh, in Haifa, you know, um, in Om al-Fahim. Um, and, and it's not, it shouldn't be shocking to us. You can't incite people and make ethno-national purity uh, an imperative and not expect these kinds of consequences, right? And, and I think this is what we are seeing playing out. And in fact, I think Israel in many ways has been at the front lines of this kind of turn. Um, you know, we like to uh, think of it as kind of, you know, um, really the culmination of it as Donald Trump. But if you if you are really watching the rhetoric and the discourse and the discourse and the way that different political parties have been moving in Israel, um, the utter demise of a kind of centrist left-wing, um, you know, labor Zionism. I mean, this the, the movement that essentially established the state that now is so weak that it barely has a voice, right? And that is not, uh, a coincidence. I think that we see this with the Democratic Party as well, which is um, uh, the the trappings of the of a progressive quote unquote uh, 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 you know self identification that is actually part of the problem that is centrist, that is, you know, institutionalized, that is afraid to take any stances, that is complicit in the interests, in the geopolitical interests, which are contingent on the denial of basic Palestinian rights. And I think um, 
political leaders across um, these different um, partitions are now being um, called in, right, to respond to um, people on the streets. And, uh, and, I, and I want to call out there, um, not just the Israeli leadership, but the Palestinian leadership as well, the Palestinian Authority, um, um, as well as um, Hamas's decreasing legitimacy, right? It's not, this is like, this is a moment, again, as in 1936, where the political leadership has been dragged on to the scene because of popular movements on, on the ground, grassroots organizing on the ground. This happened in 36 and it's happening now. I'm gonna ask you to unpack unpack that further for us, This the, the, the dragging in of leadership. Will you tell specific, you said Hamas's decreasing authority, or sorry, decreasing legitimacy. And I wanna ask you to unpack that. And then at the same time also, where is the Palestinian authority? How, what, did, what did they look like as leaders? And and, the, and, the, and then the third part, if I may, is just um, what is the leadership like on the street? Who is doing the dragging? Mm -hmm. So I'll just step back and say about 1936 really quickly, because I made that comparison, is that often in the uh, historical writing on 1936, it is sort of, um, uh, uh, you know, the, the story that we get there is that uh, the Palestinian notables decided to um, uh, have an uprising against um, the British colonial powers and uh, European Jewish settlement. That's not how the story actually goes. The story is that grassroots organizing, particularly at that time, youth committees, um, national committees, um, multiple different kinds of movements that were coming together um, organizing, organizing a national strike, um, really calling for uh, an end to British colonialism and European Jewish settlement. And this was not the position of the leadership. The elite leadership was forced to respond to this call, was forced to radicalize uh, their own political position. And I think this is really important because the way that we continue to tell our stories um, that narrate, that erase popular movements and their, and their force and what kind of leverage do they actually have. So what's happening now, I mean, I think for a, 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 you know, um, a long time, both in Gaza and in the West Bank, people are fed up, right? Um, I mean, the Palestinian Authority has basically become since also a subcontractor, I mean, also gave birth to the Palestinian Authority as necessarily a subcontractor of the occupation. That's what also is. As for Hamas, I mean, yes, Hamas, there's a, a great deal of uh, uh, rhetoric of uh, resistance and liberation, but Hamas has also um, been, you know, uh, uh, under deep critique of the people in Gaza for um, continuing and being part of this ongoing uh, uh, besieged uh, reality. I mean, one of the things I'll say really um, just clearly and openly with you um, is that I think it's very difficult the way that um, people sort of either ignore or disavow Hamas. Um, you know, I am not a, a proponent <laughs> of political Islam and I don't like Hamas's politics, um, but I think we have to really think about 
this sort of, um, you know, uh, marriage between an expansive colonial violence on the one hand and this liberal demand for nonviolence on the other. So it comes in this, we become put in this position of, you know, um, oh, well, do you support Hamas or not? Oh, well, do you know, do you condemn Hamas or not? Whereas sort of the Israeli right to, for um, self-defense is just a place where we begin. So it's a difficult position to be in, right? Because um, no, I am not a Hamasnik, <laughs> like, no. Obviously. Um, also, you know, um, I think that Hamas's efforts, let's say, and these rocket launches um, are a mechanism of increasing their own legitimacy because people feel like they need somebody to stand up for them. And I mean, the, the, the you know, the situation is that um, Hamas will doesn't have the capability to do that, right? To leverage any kind of real costs. Um, but I don't think we should be naive and, and think that actually, you know, this isn't part of the story, um, that, 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 um, that the use of violence is somehow beyond our comprehension as a tool of politics. We see Israel doing it every day. So I think that, you know, I am still thinking through all of these things and how to, to think about them. And, I, I, and I'm trying to do it in a way that's not naive. Um, I think that there is immense potential for a different kind of leadership. Um, and I think that's part of the demand on, uh, you know, uh, on the ground. I know that there were slogans in, in um, Ramallah that were saying, you know, the Oslo peace process has died and we are back to resistance. And I think this has sort of been a, a, a hope and a desire for many Palestinians, frankly, since um for those of us who are critical of Oslo from 1993, but even since, I mean, I think this is a kind of consensus since 2000, right? Um, where most Palestinians at that point had understood that Oslo was a dead letter, that Oslo was a, was a process of um, uh, maintaining Israeli control, um, that a two-state solution was an impossibility. And then Hamas and the PA are sort of trying to maneuver within those confines and not really, and I think, both being more invested in their own political power as opposed to being invested in a unified call for Palestinian liberation. And I think now they're going to have to respond in a different way. Thank you. Thank you for unpacking all of that, including, <laughs> including and especially the parts that are, that are um, require a, a, a lot of, a lot of care when unpacking and, and thinking yeah. through. Yeah. So, but, so where is the leadership now? We need the, the the leadership that is that is dragging people that uh, or sorry that is, that is dragging the 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 um, the would be leaders these the self proclaimed or the or the Oslo anointed leaders um, who is moving them? Where do you where do you see that leadership now? I I don't know. I mean, I think this is one of the things that we saw also with the uprisings um, in Egypt, in, um, you know, um, in Tunisia, which is this kind of like the leaderless, right, the leaderless uprisings and um, what kinds of, you know, um, the struggle continues to be, we need leadership, 
but we also don't want the old kind of leadership that is patriarchal, patriarchal, uh, invested in power. And I think that is the ongoing struggle. And you kind of see it um, in every at every turn, right? Where you see um, sort of this people power uh, uh, pushing back and challenging um, the, the old institutional um, forces. I don't know if they're going to gain ground. I think, um, you know, as you and I were talking before we started recording, I think what will be key is to maintain this kind of intense vigilance um, after the spectacular violence ceases, if God willing, there's a ceasefire soon. Um, so I think, you know, that that's still up for, um, you know, still up for us seeing how it unfolds. I do think there is a generational shift. I think people are ready to break the dam of fear. This is what Nuradakat keeps saying, break the dam of fear. And I think people are ready to break the dam of fear. We are ready to no longer remain silent because we're afraid of what it might mean for our careers or our futures. I think um, I have been so moved and inspired and learned so much from the graduate students and the young organizers that I am honored to be among, whether it's in um, the Palestinian Feminist Collective or in the kind of Palestine as Praxis group that, that has um, uh, does you know put forward this petition and I think this is really 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 crucial for organizing in the diaspora at least where um, it's on us really to uplift those younger voices and they are incredible they they're not scared they are ready they are ready to put their names to a call that says the situation on the ground is apartheid and um, we need to take a stance now. And, um, you know, we are committed to anti-racism. We will not be afraid of the weaponization of anti-Semitism to shut our voices down. And in fact, you know, it's spaces like yours that allow us to actually put forward our and articulate our, our, our critique. And I do think that one of the main, uh, I know you wanted to ask me about difference, you know, what's new here. And I do think that one of the things that is new is that the Palestinian struggle is part and parcel of a broader kind of movement, um, popular movements um, that are using a different kind of language, whether it is the movement for Black Lives, whether it's Standing Rock, whether it's Monokea, whether it's all of the different struggles um, against the kind of right-wing ethno-national uh, xenophobia that we were talking about earlier. There's, it's, it's, these are happening at the same time. That's not a coincidence. And these liberation movements that are so intensive at this moment, I think have um, created a space for this younger generation to uh, understand themselves and their own politics and how crucial all of our, how interlinked our liberation struggles are. Thank you. Thank you for that piece of it. So I, I have, um, I know our time is, I know our time is pressed, and I thank you so much for sharing your time with us. I want to ask you one more historical question, and then and then one one last question to close it. And the historical question is that one of the ways, one of the one of the frames that is emerging 
now at this moment is this idea of ongoing Nakba, um, which, and, and I know I have spoken to people on the ground for years who talk about ongoing Nakba, but now it seems to have, have pierced the American consciousness in this way. First of all, the Nakba itself has pierced the consciousness and, and ongoing Nakba. And uh, Mohammed Al-Kurd from, from Sheikh Jarrah talks about it, not just as ongoing Nakba, but as recurring Nakba. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask you as, as an historian uh, and as a Palestinian, what do you want an American audience to know and understand about the Nakba to understand what it means in this moment? So I would say that Nakba as catastrophe is a way of life for Palestinians. It is um, what it means is a separation from the land, but also a separation from each other. And I think this is something that gets really lost on people, right? That 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 the Israeli settler colonial project has been invested at every turn in making our togetherness impossible. And this is kind of one of the um, painful sort of openings of moments of crisis because we come together, you know, in, in ways that otherwise in it with an immediacy and in a temporality that is otherwise foreclosed to us. So I want people in the United States to understand that the Nakba that happened in 1948 and the way that um, 80% of Palestinians became refugees, the way that my parents became refugees, um, the way that we became, uh, you know, uh, separated from the land and separated from each other did not stop then. It continued inside um, Israel from 1948 to 1966 on while Palestinians inside the state of Israel were subject to military rule. It continued in 1967 with another wave of refugees, with another wave of separations. And frankly, 1993 and the entire Oslo process is a process of dispossession. Uh, the Bantistanization the of the West Bank is, an, is a dispossession. It's this, I mean, it's, I agree with Muhammad, who's just amazing, that it's recurring, but I wouldn't just say that it's recurring. It's every day. It's every day that this happens, right? It's every day this movement, this kind of moving people off the ground. And people in the United States need to understand you are not an innocent bystander in any of this. Your tax money has gone to providing an umbrella for Israeli settler colonialism and making possible Israel's impunity on the international world scale. And this is not a viable way to live. You cannot continue to understand yourself as innocent or to look at the struggle and say, it is too complicated for me to figure it out because you are part of that struggle and not understanding the Nakba as ongoing is an erasure and a basic misunderstanding of that struggle. Thank you so much, Shireen. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you. You ended, I think, where I wanted to ask you to end. I will, I will invite you in any case. Is there anything else that you want an American audience to know about this moment? I want people to know that, um, again, and, and especially I want people to hear this, that 
that Jewish Americans in this country have been central to the shifting of the discourse. And I really, it's so painful and violent to me when people uh, assume that this is just a Palestinian struggle. This is not a struggle about identity. And this is why you see now two, if not more generations of Jewish Americans saying, not in my name. So please do not make this an identity politics issue. This is an issue for people of conscience and for Jewish American people in particular. You know, um, we understand that Israel's ethnic cleansing is not good for Jewish people. And we know from the Jewish struggle for liberation and the Jewish struggle against anti-Semitism that if, if, you, if you maintain people under conditions of unfreedom, there will be no peace. There will be no peace as long as the apartheid structure in Israel continues as it is. Shireen, thank you. Thank you for joining thank us. Thank, thank you, you for, for being with us. Thank you for having me. I'm so grateful and to you. We're grateful to you. And I want to thank all of our listeners and our viewers. Please go to our website, fmep.org, for more information, for many resources. Please subscribe to our podcast. Subscribe to our events. You can see Shireen on a webinar from a few months ago. You can see her, hopefully, in upcoming events. Subscribe to our daily news roundup and weekly reports. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for being here today.